Little Bottoms is a new ministry designed to support families with small children on the west side. We provide a safe place for caregivers to get diapers, wipes, baby clothing, and other supplies needed to help their kids. We also have a kids area, so we encourage the whole family to come. Uh, And when we're open, we put on a pot of coffee, we have snacks, and we encourage people to hang out, relax, get to know one another, and build community. There are three ways you can get involved. The first is to volunteer. We have weeknights, weekend times, as well as during the day or in the evening. And plus our kids area makes it easy to bring the whole family to volunteer. The second is to donate. We accept donations of diapers, wipes, gently used baby clothes and supplies, as well as financial gifts. The third way to get involved is to join. If you are pregnant or have a child under three years old, you can become a member of Little Bottoms today. Good morning. If you haven't heard about Little Bottoms, uh, just a little video here. It's a ministry of Central City Church where we're trying to uh, just help moms and families on the west side. Uh, we do want to let you know of, of a way that you can volunteer right now. Uh, when you uh, sat down, there was a little, uh, some information Alyssa shared with you. Along with that is a half sheet of paper, and it's an easy sign-up form, super easy. Um, you know, things you should know, like your name and email address, that sort of thing. We encourage you uh, today uh, to check that out, and there's all kinds of different time slots that you can sign up to volunteer and say, hey, you know, I'm willing to come. This is for a uh, uh, for a hill, the Hilltop Baby Shower, um, on, uh, and uh, it's going to be at the Jay uh, Asburn Center, so it won't actually be at Little Bottoms, but it'll be at another center because it'll be a couple hundred families coming, and um, we, uh, we'd love for you to participate in it. It'll be, a, I think, a really meaningful time, and uh, it's on Saturday, May 4th from 12 to 3, and there's a variety of time slots that you can fill that out. So look at that, pull it out, pray about it, fill it out. Turn it back in. We'd love to have you come and uh, participate in this uh, new ministry that uh, Central City started. With that, let's pray, and then we'll jump into our message. God, we, uh, we come before you, and we give you thanks. Well, we ask that in this moment, uh, you would come and meet us here. Lord, there is a, uh, a lot that can happen in our life, a lot that can happen even this morning before we got here that can distract us, that can discourage us, that can pull us away. There's preparations that we have for meals or getting together with family. Or Lord, you know all that's going on in our life. We just ask that you would help us just calm ourselves down, quiet our hearts, remove the distractions so that we can experience the risen Christ. In your name, amen. He is risen. Ah, you passed the test. Well done, everyone. Um, let me, uh, I just want to pull back the curtain a little bit on, uh, on, uh, and let you into the world of a pastor on Easter. There is a, uh, a little bit of pressure to perform on Easter. Let me just, uh, be honest with you. Uh, there is, and nowadays there's just a, a, you know, a lot of pressure to perform on Sunday morning in general. It's not strange for a church to try to outdo itself, uh, on a Sunday or on Easter. And, and really, um, there's really kind of three ways I know a church likes to outdo itself. I'm going to share those with you so we can just, uh, all be on the same page. 
stage. The first one, Easter is a just a great chance to go big. I mean, just bigger music, bigger drama, louder preaching, fog machine. If do we have that? Do we, no, we do have it. We didn't know. Okay, uh, pyrotechnics. Uh, in fact, have you seen this uh, Easter service video where they just decided to go big? They they did a little cantata of sorts. I'm not entirely sure what a cantata is, but I think that's the right word. And uh, there's Jesus in the tomb, and there's five. Have you seen this? Well, you should watch this. Yeah, you should definitely. Let's put this up. Jesus, he's in the tomb, you know. And uh, they thought it'd be good to do fire for this cardboard tomb. It's definitely catching fire, friends. So we got to take that off the stage. I love the guy. He's still singing. He's not going to stop singing. We could end it there, but you really, I know some of you need to know, the fire does get put out. So this is good news. I'm, I'm fairly certain no one was harmed in the shooting of this film, but I can't say for, for certain. Um, so we decided not to do that. And I'm sorry or you're welcome, depending on your preference. That's one way you can go big. Um, the second way is to just uh, go and try to be really trendy. Um, super trendy, just be cooler than you ever been before. So much pressure uh, today to dress and act a certain way. You all look uh, absolutely uh, nice, I know. Um, so well done, everybody. We have a photo booth, by the way. Um, we kind of knew you would look beautiful, and we wanted you to be able to take that uh, picture. Uh, by the way, just a precursor, um, we are inviting people in the spur of the moment if they feel led to be baptized. So if you are wearing beautiful clothes and God calls you to be baptized, that's between you and God, I have decided. <laughs> but, um, you know, one of my favorite, uh, 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 you know, uh, um, ways to be trendy. It's a really simple trick. I'm going to teach it to you all. It works for guys. I don't know if it works for girls, but it's really simple. If you want to just like go from nice to cool, um, I'll show it to you. Just uh, button the top button. Before, look nice. Now, super, super trendy. Yeah, no, it's, uh, that's a, just a little trick. And that uh, any joke at my expense is a good joke. Um, and this is how I usually wear it. So if you are new with us, you should know it's entirely at my expense. The third way, I'm going to leave it like that way too, so you're not going to be able to stop thinking about it. My apologies. The third way to outdo yourself is just to go obscure. This is my favorite way uh, to just outdo yourself is to go obscure if you're part of this church, you know that already. If you can be relatable and relevant and teach from a book that no one's ever read, a book that people just haven't read before, that's really impressive. So my favorite example of this is Rob Bell, who in his prime had a Time Magazine article written about him entitled, and I kid you not, The Hipper Than Thou Pastor. Okay, this is a real article. When he started Mars Hill, um, it's kind of a legend now, but it, it actually happened. When it, it, he's no longer at Mars Hill, but when he started it, he spent the first year teaching entirely out of the book of Leviticus for an entire year. Church blew up. People loved it. 
because he taught this book that most of us haven't read, and he taught it in a way that was relevant. It would be like, for an example, gathering people on Easter, you know, a room full of community members and friends and people who consider themselves family with each other and getting ready to celebrate the risen Christ. He is risen. And looking at everyone in the room, you know, nicely dressed and saying, okay, let's open our Bibles and we're going to study the book of Jonah today. And then try to convince you that Jonah is actually a super relevant topic for, you know, Easter, which would be funny. So there's a couple of different ways. You can go big, you can go trendy, you can go obscure, you can look at, you know, Leviticus or Habakkuk or something like that. Today, I do want to try to keep it simple, though. And I want to just give you permission today. Just, you know, life doesn't have to be perfect. You don't have to be perfect. Today doesn't have to be perfect. Christmas doesn't have to be perfect. Your birthday doesn't have to be perfect. Your family doesn't have to. Just relax, friends. It's, you can try, and it's just not going to be. So just be okay with whatever is in front of you. Just embrace it. So today, I'm just, we're going we're gonna to talk about some things. Um, but I want to proclaim this simple truth. It's simply that Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. That's it. Scholars call this the kerygma. You know, before the New Testament was written, before the early church had copies of the Bible, before the stories of Jesus had even been jotted down, the, the early church had just a couple of phrases and a couple of stories that had been passed to them through disciples and apostles. And one of the phrases was, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Will you say that with me? Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. It's just the, it's the kernel of the gospel, the oldest proclamation of the early church. That's what we want to sit with today. To do that, we're going to open our Bibles and look at the story of Jonah. Just kidding. All right, we're going to look at Luke. We're going to, we've been in Luke the last couple of weeks. We're going to keep in Luke, and we're going to look at chapter 24. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. It will be on the screen this week. So Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 8. We're going to read just uh, eight verses here about the story of Jesus' resurrection. And, 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 and this, this is probably a familiar passage. Um, you maybe have heard it before, but I want to sit with it anew. It says this. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. Just pause there real quick. You know, this is so interesting. I always got confused reading the story because I always kind of thought Jesus had said, you know, I'll be dead for three days and then I'll rise again. And so I, I was always trying to do the math. Like he died on Friday and then he rose on Sunday. How, you know, he wasn't gone for three days. Now, that's not the fact. Jesus said, I, on the third day, I will rise, which is a little bit different. So here's the thing. He's, you know, Friday, he passed away. That's day one. Saturday, day two, um, still dead. And then Sunday, um, he rises again. But what's really interesting is it's like, you're going to find out he... The third day comes, and it's like daybreak, and he's like up. As soon as the third day, like, and he had permission to rise again, it was like right away. They're there, and they're coming with spices to prepare Jesus' uh, body um, because the Saturday was the Sabbath, so they weren't going to come and do it that day. And so they come, and they bring it to the tomb. Verse 2. So they found the stone rolled away from the tomb because a stone had been placed there, if you remember the story, to protect anyone from stealing the body, and there were guards there as well. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down their faces to the ground. And the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? Which is such a great question. Why do you look for the living among the dead? We're going to talk about today how God wants to give us new life, how God wants to resurrect us, just as God resurrected Jesus, and bring us and be born again to experience new life. And when you've experienced a new life, you're not, you can't go find us amongst the dead. That once we've 
changed. You're not going to find us amongst the dead. You're going to find us amongst the living. You've got to be looking in living places to find those who have been risen again. So why do you look for the living amongst the dead? And he is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been working our way from Galilee, which is in the northern part of Israel, all the way to Jerusalem. Before he even started the journey, which we started studying back in the beginning of Lent, before he even started the journey to Jerusalem, he said, hey, this is what's going to happen when we get to Jerusalem. He says, he told you when he was still with you in Galilee, verse 7, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. We're here to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And while every single person, all of the disciples and the women should have known, they had been told multiple times that he was going to die and then rise again, all of them were surprised. Couldn't believe it. That's just, that's how the story goes. They're like, how, what, why is this happening? Why, wh- how could Jesus not be here? Did someone take the body? And they, they're all trying to figure out, even though Jesus had told them many times. In fact, Jesus, just in the Gospel of Luke, told them specifically five different times that he was going to die and then rise again. Interestingly enough, in those five times where he said, I'm going to die and then rise again, he doesn't just say, I'm going to die and then there'll be a resurrection, I'll rise again. He specifically tells them that on the third day, I will rise again. And this is exactly what happens. Friday, day one, he died. Saturday, day two, still dead. Sunday, on the third day, what we celebrate this morning, what we celebrate every Sunday since, he rose again. So I've been thinking about that. As I prepared for Easter, I wanted to spend some time and say, you know, what's the significance of three days? He says it over and over again, and then it happens. Why? Does it mean something? Could it teach us something today? Well, we don't have to guess. It was on purpose. Jesus said it would be three days, and it was three days on purpose, and he even tells us why. We learn this in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. It says this, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So I guess we're going to look at Jonah after all. And don't pretend like this wasn't going to happen. I totally warned you. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Jonah. I'm just kidding. You don't have to. I'll read it to you. In fact, Jonah's one of these stories. I do want to spend some time with Jonah. Um, Jesus says in this passage of Matthew, he specifically says, if you, want to, if you want to understand the resurrection story, if you want to understand Easter, then you've got to be thinking about Jonah. This is one of the stories that Jesus, like he specifically died and rose again in three days because he wanted his story to be associated, connected with Jonah's story. So if you want to understand Easter and why we're here and the whole resurrection, you've got to go and you've got to be at least familiar with Jonah's story. So I do want to spend some time with Jonah. Jonah's a great story. It's one of these stories that um, people love to make children's books out of. Um, stories like Jonah and Daniel in the lion's den and, and um, you know, Noah's Ark and, you know, all of this sort of stuff. Um, not great children's stories in my mind. They're very PG-13 um, stories. R-rated, if we're honest, but they could be scaled back to PG-13. But of course, I'm at the library this week. I'm thinking about how I'm going to talk about Jonah on Easter, feeling a little insecure about it because it's kind of weird, and then also thinking about how I can sell it to you all. But then I run into this book while I'm looking for books for Finn on what? It's a great one. So let me share this with you. Um, 
I'll just say that not sure it's a great kid's story because the pictures are kind of graphic in my opinion. Not super graphic, but like they're, they're painful. So here, let me, uh, let me share this with you. Um, so the story of Jonah, here's this guy. He, uh, he's supposed to go do something for God. We won't get into it. We'll keep the kid's version. He's supposed to go do something with God. He doesn't do it. He runs. We can relate to that. God's told us to do stuff, and we're like, no, thanks. I don't want to do it. I'm not going to. And we resist. If you've never resisted God, it's probably because you haven't talked to him. If you've talked to God, you've, you've resisted. Every person in the Bible told God no at one point or another. In fact, when God calls all of the great leaders of the Bible, they all at one point say, no, thanks, God. I don't want to do that. So if you are on mission with God, there's probably been a point where you're like, no, thanks. Jonah does that. He runs away. And he does something that's a little different for Jews. They had a kind of a, a fear of the sea. But he says, I'm going to go on the Mediterranean Sea. I'm going to go on this boat. I'm going to get as far away from God as possible. And this is what happens. So here he is. We got the pictures on the screen too. You can look. So I mean, this is scary. This is this is what happens. The storm starts. The waves are crashing. They're like, we're not going to survive this. Who, what in the world is going on here? You know, they're asking, who, who's to blame? You know, they're kind of like superstitious and they believe in all kinds of different gods. They're like, what god? You know, um, is mad at who? And how can we fix it? And Jonah eventually owns up. He knows. And for, don't we know, though, when we've, like, we're running from God? No one has to tell us that. People love to point out other people's mistakes. But you know what? Like, when we're not doing what we're supposed to do, no one needs to tell us. Jonah knew. He knew that he was not where he was supposed to be. So he owns up to it, and he says, um, yeah, you've got you've to get rid of me. So this is, um, he has that conversation, and then, and then this happens. This is a, just a great kid's story. He throws him into this stormy waters. It's just... Embed that in your two-year-old's mind, and it'll be fine. He's tossed, and we know what happens. He, he's now swimming with the fishes, which everyone knows is not a good thing. And if that doesn't scare you, look at, look at what happens next. It's, this is a great book. It's great illustrations, if you ask me. A little scary. So now Jonah, he's in, he's in the belly. And after being in the water, in this watery tomb for three days, he spit back out into land. Jesus says, you want to understand my resurrection, you've got to spend a little bit of time with Jonah. So I want us to just sit with this for just a second. I want us to just imagine um, what this would be like. When Jesus died and was buried and rose again and he was spit out from the tomb, he, he told us he wanted us to be mindful of Jonah. So think about it. Experience the, experience the story. At least just sit with it for a second. Let it impact you. Imagine what it would be like to be running from God your, and your whole life begins to fall apart. These storms come. And the only way to stop it is to just be tossed overboard. And you hit the water and you're swimming. Can you imagine just how... Listen, listen to this. I, I, I just want you to sit with this for a second. Can you play this? Just listen to it. Imagine the storms, whatever they are for you. They're trying to figure out what to do. They're trying to figure out who needs to be corrected, what God is angry at who, and you know all along it's you. You're the one. You own up to it. You say, all right, toss me over. Throw me into the sea. 
imagine it? Can you feel it? Hold on to that feeling. Hold on to that experience. Sit with it. When Jesus died and rose again, he appeared to a lot of people. And when he appeared, people almost never recognized him. There was something profoundly different about him. His resurrection body was was better or different or hard to recognize for some. Even in Luke, he walks with two friends to Emmaus. Maybe you've heard of the story. And, and they don't recognize him until he sits down and eat. Something was different about Jesus. And people, people wanted what Jesus had. And one thing became clear, that Jesus had always told them to pick up their cross and follow him. And now they could see why. Because the only way to experience God's resurrection, this change that they saw in Jesus, was to first die so you could be, you know, so you could rise again to, to experience the cross. The resurrection was on the other side of death. Uh, Easter was, of course, on the other side of Good Friday. And so after meeting the resurrected Jesus, people wanted some of that resurrection power. They wanted what Jesus had. They didn't want to necessarily carry the cross. We don't want to carry the cross, but they wanted the power of the resurrection. That's why we love Easter more than Good Friday. But So the early church, they walked with Jesus trying to figure out, and what does this mean for us? You rose again. What does it mean for us? And, and right at the end, before Jesus ascended into heaven, he told them. He said, go therefore and make disciples, teaching them what I taught you and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So think about this. Make disciples, teach them what I taught you. That makes sense. Like, pass on what Jesus taught. Like, let's do that. Let's pass, like, Jesus showed me how to live my life differently. I want to show other people. But then he says, baptize them, toss them in water, and then bring them back up. And that's supposed to make some kind of difference. What's up with that? I wonder if somewhere around there something clicked. And maybe, just maybe, the way we experience Jesus' resurrection is to first experience his death. And maybe the way we experience his death is through this baptism. Maybe they even remembered that back in Luke, in chapter 12, verse 50, Jesus referred to the fact that he was going to die as his baptism. And maybe they remembered that Jesus referred to his death and his resurrection like tossing Jonah into water only to be delivered three days later. Thankfully, most baptisms don't last three days, for good reason. And maybe that's why Paul wrote in his letter to the church in, Roman, uh, in the church in Rome, in Romans 6, 3 through 5, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. There's something about the, this idea that, that Jesus died and rose again, and if we share in Jesus' death, then we can share in Jesus' resurrection. And new life becomes available. Jesus referred to as being born again or being making all things new, that there's new life available, that Jesus' resurrection power is available to you by sharing in Jesus' death and sharing in Jesus' resurrection. 
when, the, when Paul wrote to the church in Rome, it would have been right around the same time that Nero was um, Caesar in Rome. And Nero was, is just known for being not a great guy, really hard on Christians. He would um, do some really terrible things. I won't, I won't get into it here, but um, it resulted in a lot of Christians going and worshiping and hiding. And in Rome, there's all these catacombs underneath a lot of buildings. You can still go to and see some of them today. Catacombs are used mostly for burial, so it'd be a lot of coffins or places for people to be buried in these caves. And Christians would go down there to uh, worship God in secret, so they'd light candles and all this Sort of stuff. And you can almost imagine that, you know, at this point, these Christians in Rome, they, they only know what's been told to them. There's no Bible at this point. There's no Gospels. They, gospels haven't been written. There's, there's a few letters that have started getting written, but one of them is the letter that Paul writes to the Romans. And so you can imagine they're down in these catacombs. They're worshiping God in secret. They've, they've heard about baptism. They've heard about the teachings of Jesus. They've heard about all of these things. And uh, they get this letter from Paul. And he says in it, Verse, they get to chapter 6, and he says, Oh, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. He's like, it's like hey, if, if you've been baptized... If you haven't been, you should be. That's, that's how we get some of this resurrection power. That's how we experience life. It's an initiation into the family of God where resurrection power is available. You can have new life right now. You can, you can have new life, a fresh life, a new beginning. You can leave the old behind. You can drop it in the sea, wash it off, and a new life can start right now. Here, so the, tur- the church and the catacombs are like, you, we can baptize you right here. Let's figure out how we're going to baptize you. And, and, and do you know how they would baptize people in the catacombs? Legend has it. They would take a coffin clean it out, fill it up, and baptize people. I mean, and the thought being, well, I mean, isn't that what baptism is about anyways? That we die with Christ and rise again? Friends, I have good news for you. We didn't bring a coffin today. But if you want to be baptized, it's, uh, it's actually even heated water, which is probably better than the catacombs. Every time someone is baptized, they're reliving the Easter story. Every time we remember our baptism, we're reliving the Easter story. So for those who, who have been baptized, we, we have to sit with it for a little. We have to relive it. We have to remember it like I was something else, and I died to myself, and I became new. I died with Jesus so I could live with Jesus as a resurrected person. I was running. I was avoiding God. I was, you know... And I'm not anymore. I got dropped in the water, and I lived to tell about it. Listen to it again. This audio um, from the story of Jonah. And think about it. Maybe. Yeah, there it is. Think about the storms in your life. Think about the things that you've been running from. Have you ever felt like life couldn't get any worse? That that life was just as bad as it possibly could? That you hit rock bottom only to find that you could go lower still? Uh, Have you ever been so desperate? Like, God, I'll do anything. I'll do anything. Just save me. Toss me overboard if you have to. The sounds of Jonah are the sounds of baptism. 
And when Jonah was underwater, he offered a prayer, an honest prayer, a powerful prayer. He said this. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down, and the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord, my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remember you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Water in Jewish culture was an embodiment of chaos. I don't know if you've ever been to the ocean before um, or to a large lake, uh, to a sea, um, but it's... uh, it's the embodiment of chaos. It's, it's one of these things in life, especially in the ancient world, but even today with all of our modern technology, the sea is still this thing that we just don't have power over. It's chaotic and difficult. And, and so throughout Scripture, you see this theme. Jesus uh, or God was hovering over the waters in Genesis 1, and, and then it was the waters of the sea uh, that he had to cut a path through so people could walk on dry land in the Red Sea and then in the Jordan River. And it was the Sea of Galilee that Jesus would walk on, as if to say, no, I won't, be, I won't be impacted by the chaos of this life. I have power over the water and the storms that Jesus would calm, as if to say that Jesus, God in the flesh, is, is more powerful than the chaos of our lives. The ocean is this powerful metaphor for everything in life we can't control. And friends, there is much in our life and in your life that you can't control. If you didn't know that, I'm sorry, but it's reality. You know, sometimes, uh, Alyssa and I uh, argue sometimes. And uh, some would say we even fight uh, might be a word we use. I don't know if any other couples in the room can relate. Sometimes Finn doesn't even want to go to bed. And that feels like a storm sometimes, friends. And there's other times he doesn't want to eat dinner or leave the park or stop watching TV or stop throwing things or insert whatever it is for you. There's just some, And sometimes there have been times in my life I've let people down and I feel so terrible about it, I don't want to do anything for days. There's sometimes that... Uh, um, that I don't want to do anything for days, and I don't have a good reason. There's sometimes that, I, that, that, that there's just so much that needs to be done, and I can't get it done. And then my kid gets sick. And then I left the milk out, so it's spoiled. And that makes morning so much worse. Life could be chaotic and unpredictable, and I don't feel like I have power over it. It's, I've lost, I lost, I don't, lost, I don't have power over it. And it's no surprise that the ancient world would see oceans as the embodiment of this chaos. And for the most part, it'd be avoided. See, chaos is something we try to avoid. When life gives us problems, we're like, I quit. I'm out. Don't want to be a part of it. Can't handle it. Have you ever run away from chaos before? Like, I just can't, I can't do it. It's like the cross. The cross isn't something people run towards. In the Roman world, it was a form of execution. Like, you did everything you could to avoid ending up on a cross. Like, that's not something you should, that was not a life goal for people. Same idea with the Jews in regards to the views of, you know, you didn't go jump in the water. The normal person would run away or give up, but not the follower of Jesus. You want to understand the resurrection, you got to understand this. The follower of Jesus jumps in. The follower of Jesus leans in. 
follow Jesus even in baptism is a way of saying that chaos and disorder and pain and hurt and death and all the things that I don't have control over, give me your best shot. I'm, I'm jumping in. We're tossed from the boat. We jump in because we believe the same God who raised Jesus from the dead can handle anything life throws at us. That even if I find myself threatened by death, that death doesn't have the final say. That there's nothing I have to be afraid of because if God can raise Jesus from the dead, it doesn't matter how difficult my life becomes, it doesn't matter how chaotic my life becomes, it doesn't matter how messed up it becomes, there's nothing that can overcome me if I just lean in in the name of Jesus. Trusting with all I have that God can handle it. That I can't, that I surrender, I give up and I fall back into the water. And the only thing left, this is the picture of baptism, the only thing left at that point is for God to save me. And when God does, which God always does, we call that the resurrection. That's the resurrection. Today, um, we actually have uh, uh, Liz. It's going to be baptized. Uh, we're going to do a little baptism service actually after the service. I'm going to invite the band to come up and get ready for our closing song. I want to let you know, though, um, that if you haven't been baptized, uh, you are welcome to do that today. Um, and I, I, we, we tried to, I know that you probably didn't dress for it, and we get that, but you still, I, I, don't miss the chance. If this is what God wants you to do, you know what? You don't even have to talk to your spouse about it. I know you should talk to your spouse and everything else. Probably not the best person after my example to give you advice. But if you feel led by God to be baptized, just or to remember your baptism, do it. We have actually uh, Central City T-shirts that you can uh, you can. So we at least have a different T-shirt you can change into. Um, the water uh, is uh, at a nice temperature, so you don't have to worry about that. We got towels. There's there's just no. Yes, you'll have to ch- change. You'll be wet. That's the point. Um, um, so I just invite you. Um, you don't have to. There's no pressure, but I just want you to know that it is available. Now, what we are going to do is we're going to sing this final song, and I'm going to be up here. I have a little bowl of water. And if you want to remember your baptism, you're like, you know what? I want to relive the Jonah story. I want to relive the death and resurrection of Jesus, and I want to remember my baptism. I'm going to be just set up right over here. Anytime during the song, you can come forward, and I'll just take some water, and I'll put a little cross on your forehead in the form of water. You'll get a little wet, but you won't get as wet as, you know, full immersion, and you'll remember your baptism. And in fact, if you want to be baptized today, and you're like, I don't want to get in the pool. I'll, we'll, we are inclusive when it comes to baptism. We'll baptize you however you want. It's about what God does. So I'll, we could pour some water on you or just baptize you that way as well after the service. Um, to end, I do want to just ask a couple of questions as we reflect on our baptism. Um, there's three questions we ask people who want to be baptized, and I want us all to participate. If you feel that, if, if you don't want to respond, you can. There's three questions. I'm going to ask those to you, and then uh, we'll go to our closing song. And here they are. They're historic questions in our tradition that people uh, respond to um, when they want to make this kind of change in their life. So here they are. On behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? I do. I do. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in his grace, and promise to serve him as your Lord, in union with the church which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races? During this final song, if you want to come forward and remember your baptism, you can do that. 
If you'd like to be baptized during the song, you can just get up and go to the back. Alyssa will be back there, and she can, uh, she's got a little form you can fill out. A lot of times there's a class before baptism. Yeah, you already sat through it, so you're good there. Um, we covered it all, and uh, you're, you're, you're welcome to do that. No pressure, but we want to make that available to you if that's something you feel led to, uh, to participate in. So let's pray. God, we ask that you would uh, pour out your Holy Spirit to bless this water. Um, and for those who receive it, and for those who have been baptized, allow this gift of water to call to our remembrance the grace declared to us in our baptism. For our, you washed away our sins, and you clothed us with righteousness throughout our lives, that dying and rising with Christ, we may share in his final victory. And so, Lord, now we pray as you taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven. Stand off us.